Hey, this is Dr. Mike Barnett. It is an awesome privilege to fill the pulpit every Sunday at the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Having you listen to our messages on this podcast is an incredible blessing as well. And I pray that you will be encouraged in the Lord as you listen. It is vital that you commit yourself and your family to the Lord through the ministry of a local church. While it is a great blessing to have you listen to our messages, no one will be able to minister the Word of God to you or your family like a local pastor. So please do not consider this podcast as a replacement for your presence in your local church on Sunday. Be faithful, get connected, and God bless. wonderful today be thankful for the cross was it not and what Jesus has done for us I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 2nd Peter once again chapter 2 2nd Peter chapter 2 this is an incredible chapter where we have some very graphic language not profanity but graphic language And Peter holds nothing back in identifying for us the character and the motivation for false doctrine and false teachers, which there are many among us. This chapter begins with a great big giant word of contrast. You might recall that in chapter 1, especially verses 16 through 21, Peter is talking about the Word of God, the Scriptures, the Bible. And he says that the prophets and the apostles who penned the Word of God, inspired words of the Holy Spirit, did not follow myths or legends or anything of the kind. He said, we heard these truths. We saw these events. We walked with Jesus. We were eyewitnesses and we applied the Old Testament scriptures to our writings and to our writing in the present tense in terms of Peter. And he says, we have experienced some great things, marvelous things. Peter talks about going on top of the Mount of Transfiguration and we can only imagine seeing that. The glory of God shining through uh, just a a little bit in terms of its fullness. And Peter says, I was on top of that mountain when, when Jesus was transfigured before us and Moses and Elijah came. And he said, I heard that voice from heaven. And he says, it was a glorious experience. He says, but more certain and more sure than that, he says, is the word of God that I'm writing, that the prophets wrote, that Paul writes, that the gospel writers wrote, that John wrote. He says, more sure than any experience you have is the Word of God. He said, we have this Word of God, and this is what we preach, and this is what we teach. It's the truth of God. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, but, and he talks about the false teachers. There will always go hand in hand. You'll never have one without the other. You'll never have the true Word of God being proclaimed 
without some schism somewhere preaching false doctrine. It's always going to be. And so read with me this verse once again, and we will look at some of these false teachers and give you a definition of their character and then what we can do about it. we got to end up with what we can do about it. But he says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily will bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. In the way of introduction, there's two things we need to understand about false teachers. Number one, false teaching and the teachers who teach them are an incessant problem. They are always present. Peter says um, back in the days of the Old Testament, like we would say back in the days there were false prophets in ancient Israel. There were false prophets among the people. The people is a reference to the Jewish nation, Israel. And he says, among them, the people of God, God's chosen people, the people with who, from whom he chose to bring our Messiah, he says there were false prophets. And you can read all through the Old Testament and you read about false prophets in just about every book. They're everywhere you go. He says they're there. And then he says, and there will be false prophets among you also. He's talking to the church in this church age. False prophets among you as well. And 2 Peter chapter 2, as a matter of fact, the whole book of 2 Peter deals with false prophets. Jude, the little book of Jude is all about false teachers in the church age. He says it is an incessant problem. You will have to deal with them always. They're always here. So it's an incessant problem, false doctrine. Second of all, he also tells us that false teaching is an internal problem. Notice he says, They are among the people, and there shall be false teachers among you. They were in Israel in ancient times. They did not come from the pagans. They didn't have some prophet show up and say, by the way, I'm a Philistine, I'm going to preach a doctrine to you that's false. He says they were among the people. They were among their own ranks. And he says there will be false prophets among you. It's an internal problem. A false prophet, listen, a false teacher never comes from outside the church. They are always within the church. That's the kind of people... Peter is warning us about in this book. That makes it so difficult, doesn't it? Because we like everybody in our church. But he says, there will be among you false teachers. Be on your guard. Be on the lookout. I want to tell you what they're really like. False teachers, they never come from outside the church, but they always come from outside of Christ. Did you hear the difference? They never come from outside the church, but they always come from outside of Christ. And it is a dangerous thing. They always have sheep's clothing, but they are ravening wolves, as Jesus says, in the midst 
of the church. Constantly on guard we must be. It's an internal problem. We have moles, like they would say. We have moles. And we must always be on guard and be careful. And so, Peter, in this verse and the rest of this chapter, he tells us much about their character. He tells us about their converts. He tells us about their condemnation. And that's what we'll be dealing with in 2 Peter chapter 2. And he uses some very graphic language. But first of all, let's look at three three identifying facts about their culture, about false teachers. Now, these are things that uh, you may not readily see in a false teacher. Uh, False teachers are not usually, um, uh, well, they're very secretive uh, and they hide their motives. Uh, but uh, you can be guaranteed, and this is on the authority of Second Peter chapter 2, that when someone is teaching doctrine contrary to what the Word of God teaches, you can rest assured that this is in their heart, that these things are their character. This is what defines their character. It is where it will all end up one day. And sometimes with false teachers and who come within the church, sometimes it's, it takes time to identify them. Uh, sometimes you think, you know, something just doesn't add up. And then while all the numerals are put into the, to the uh, uh, math problem it, and you add it all up, you realize that does not add up. And it just takes a little while, and sometimes a lot of damage is done until you get there. Uh, but um, let me just share with you these three things. And uh, first of all, we see their doctrines. Notice the phrase, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies. There's that strong language, damnable heresies. That phrase is very telling. This is how the false teacher will work. This is their modus operandi. This is how they operate. And this little phrase, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, tells us three things about how they work their doctrines. First of all, they are very subtle. How their doctrines are introduced, privily shall be brought in. Now, you may have a translation that says secretly brought in. And that's not a bad translation. That's a good translation. Uh, but be careful that it doesn't limit you because this word translated privily or secretly also means craftily. And it means with great subtlety. It's very subtle in their approach. Remember, false teachers do not barge in from the outside. They slip in and they infiltrate. They come from the ranks. No false uh, teacher is going to stand up at First Baptist Ocean Springs or any other church and say, what I am teaching you is false. I have been deceived by Satan willingly, and I'm here to deceive you just to get in your pocket. Uh, no false teacher is going to stand up and say, that. don't you wish they would? But you know what? I'm going to tell you, now this is good preaching whether you like it or not. People would still follow them. Let me tell you why. Because at the end of the message in about an hour and a half, 
we're going to see where their motives are their own lust. And people flock to them because it fulfills their own lusts, their own desires. So we'll get to that in a few minutes. But anyway, they are very subtle. They are very subtle. They hide their motives and conceal their real message until you have been drawn in. Jesus said to them, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. The word privily shall bring in is used by the Greek writers, secular writers, to describe one who will open up the gate to a city and let the enemy in so an enemy can undermine in secret ways and subversive ways the security of the city. That's how a false prophet brings his doctrine or her doctrine into the church. We've got to be inclusive these days. Secondly, not only are they subtle, but they are seductive. The phrase also indicates the appeal to the emotions and the appeal to the flesh. They are very seductive. They are, thirdly, they're schismatic. The teaching of a false teacher causes a schism between he and the Bible. It brings in a schism within the church between those who will be true to the Word of God and those who will follow after the false teacher or his doctrine. Here it is called a damnable heresy, and that's exactly what false doctrine is. Heresy is the right word for false teaching. The word originally referred to a self-designed opinion. If you talk about heresy, you say that's a self-designed opinion. Have you noticed today in our culture, in our society, that really nothing much is called a heresy anymore because everybody has their own self defined and self-designed opinion. Everyone has their own truth. Have you noticed that these days? And so that is the culture we live in, and it certainly has come into the church. In the New Testament, the word heresy is also translated a sect. The Pharisees were a sect. The Sadducees were a sect. In the book of Acts... um, 24, Christians are called the people of the sect of the Nazarenes. So a a group of uh, people who are in a schism between everybody else, separated from everybody else. So heresy is an opinion, a choosing to hold to a self-designed opinion. So a heresy is a self-designed opinion, and a heretic is someone who holds to that self-described opinion opinion, with the possibility and even the desire of leading others to follow them in that self-designed opinion. Peter says, our doctrines, the apostles' doctrine, and the preaching of the prophets is not like that. He said, because we didn't come up with some private interpretation of things. He said, holy men of old were moved by the Holy Spirit of God and they penned the pages of Holy Scripture. 
Peter says, we didn't, we didn't follow after any of those things. It didn't come from our own thinking. It didn't come from some myth. But the heretics, the doctrines of the false teachers did. And that's where their teachings come from. And they're called damnable. And we'll talk about that in a moment. The second thing I want to point out is their denial. Now, we highlighted this for the last two weeks. Last week, Easter Sunday, and the Sunday before last. That little phrase in this verse that says, even denying the Lord that bought them. I don't want to spend too much time on this because we have already preached on this phrase twice, but I want to highlight this. Even denying speaks of the, the intensity and the drastic measure of a false teacher, their real motive, what they're teaching will lead people to do what is in their heart is to even deny the Lord that bought them. The Lord that bought them. That's two things. The Lord is the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you remember, that word Lord in this text is not the typical word kurios, which refers to our relationship to the Lord. The Lord is good. The Lord is gracious. The Lord, our relationship with Him. This is the Greek word despot, and we get our word despot from it. And it refers to total, complete authority and control over a slave. It's talking about the sovereignty of God. In our day and age, the word despot, we only apply to evil, evil dictators, and so we should. But this is the Lord, and He is sovereign. Thank God He's good and gracious, but he is a despot because of who he is, the God of all creation and all that is. And so he is totally Lord, and false teachers will deny that. When we get into chapter 3, we're going to get in that wonderful text of Scripture that people have asked me about since we've been in Second Peter. What does it mean that a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day? Well, you're going to have to wait because I'm going to preach on that now. But in chapter 3, we're going to talk about how the ultimate way a false teacher denies the lordship and the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's fascinating. And I think it's, it's very pertinent for today. All right? I mean, it even has to do, get ready, it even has to do with the Green New Deal. It's right there in the Scripture. There it is, right there. We're going to show that to you when we get to it in a few weeks. But their denial, they deny the sovereignty of God. But not only that, do they, de they deny the salvation of God. They deny the Lord that bought them. There is a salvation not by grace. It is not a salvation found at the cross. See, all false teachers, all false doctrine seeks to claim the crown away from Christ and cancel the cross for redemption. That's the ultimate. That's the ultimate false doctrine. And so we see their denial. Thirdly, I want you to notice their damnation. Now this is a very strong word, but it's used twice in our text. First of all, we see that the heresies are damnable. The case is written as heresies of damnation. In other words, they are heresies that will destroy you. If you listen to them and you heed them uh, and follow them, they will destroy you. 
They will bring in damnation. They sound good. They make sometimes sense. Sometimes they feel good. They seem to fit in life. But such teaching will damn you to hell. What did Solomon say? There is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is the way of death. And so they are damnable heresies. See, it will turn lost people away from the true gospel. And it can even delude the saints of God away from what it means to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the heresies themselves are damnable. And then they themselves are damned. Notice the last phrase says, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. They will bring upon themselves swift destruction. Damnable and destruction are the same word. It does not simply refer to a problem here and now, bad advice for life, those heresies, but it refers to an eternity in hell. This is what it means. There's no way around it. I would be a false teacher to say anything else. Notice it is swift destruction, swift damnation. Now, back in uh, chapter 1 and verse 14... Peter says, knowing that shortly I must put off this tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. And Peter's talking about his death. He says, I'm writing these words, and soon, it won't be long, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to be, I'm going to die just like the Lord showed me. Peter had a great advantage. He knew exactly how he was going to die because Jesus told him about 30 years before. You remember that? Peter had denied him three times. And Jesus, after the resurrection, meets with Peter and talks to Peter. He asked him three times, do you love me? The same number of times he denied him, kind of interesting. And Peter says, you know I love you, Lord. You know I love you. And there's some great lessons in that. But then he says to Peter, he says, Peter... Right now, you're going where you want to go and how you want to go, but one day, people are going to take you places you don't want to go. And he's talking about the way he's going to die. And you know what Peter does? He turns around and points to John and says, What about him? <laughs> now, isn't that something? What about him? I mean, kind of like siblings in the back of a car. What about him? And Jesus says, I... It's not, not your business. He might live forever, Peter, but that's not your business. And that started a rumor that John would not die. See how rumors get started? You mess with somebody else's business, you start rumors. And so now, 30 years later, 30 some odd years later, old Peter, the aged prophet, who God did not throw away, God did not cancel, God wasn't angry, but the Lord forgave him and restored him and made him a powerhouse. And we have been in 1 Peter and now we're in 2 Peter. Have you ever thought that we are reading together and preaching through a book together written by somebody who denied the Lord three times? 
Isn't that amazing? We're written by... We are intensely dealing with some literature that the man who wrote it had a bad habit of putting his foot in his mouth. And now he's about to die with the greatest of confidence in the Lord. The greatest of peace. And he says, just like the Lord showed me, and he uses the word swift, short. It's going to happen swiftly. My entrance into heaven when I die will be swift. Isn't that wonderful to die as a Christian? You swiftly go to heaven. Probably before the last breath goes from your lungs out your nose or mouth, you're in heaven. Before the first tear falls of your loved one, you are in heaven. Isn't that a wonderful place to be? A wonderful way to die. But not these false teachers. Just as fast as old Peter was anticipating being in heaven, these will be in hell. Swift destruction. And they will meet God in judgment for their false teaching. And so you see these false teachers. They're very simple. They're here. And it's very simple. They're teaching you damnable doctrines that will lead you ultimately to hell. And they are schismatic. And they are subtle. And they are tricky. They sound good. They look good. There are not very many five, seven, stocky, kind of chubby, bald-headed false teachers. (laughs) They all look wonderful. Amen? They really do. And they appeal to the flesh, do they not? They appeal to what makes you feel good. So what do you do? What do you do when, when to, to keep from being taken in? Keep from being taken in. And I know I'm being very general. I can give you a list of a lot of false teachers out there who have infiltrated the church. Uh, fortunately, in the local church, when, you have, uh, when you're guarded and, and uh, you have a short, stocky, bald-headed preacher, um, they don't come from the Sunday school class. A lot of times they may slip in through a videotape. Amen, or the cable new a cable network, AT&T, Cable One, what have you, you know. But uh, what do you do? What is a person like you who wants to hold on to truth and share the truth and bear the truth during trying times? What do you do? Well, I'm going to give you two things to do in light of the incessant problem we'll always have with false teachers. Number one, examine every teacher. Examine every teacher. Now, every preacher likes to receive compliments. One of the greatest things that, one of the blessings that uh, happens to me is when someone comes up and says, Preacher, I was great preaching today. 
but I'd rather you do it on Wednesday after you've had three days to check it out. Amen? Take about three days to check it out. I'm right of one visiting preacher who uh, was lined up with a pastor after the sermon and a lady came by and said, Preacher, that was the worst, most ungodly preaching I ever heard in my life. And she left. And he looked at the pastor and the pastor said, Don't worry about it. And then he gets in line again and this lady gets in line again and she comes back by and says, I just think you're the worst preacher we've ever had fill this pulpit. She didn't like that. I mean, visiting pastors couldn't believe it. And she goes back to her and here she comes a third time and said, as a matter of fact, we just think you're a flat heretic and we don't want you back. And the pastor leaned over and said, don't worry about her. She just goes around repeating everything everybody else says. (laughs) Well... Don't repeat what everybody else says. Check out the preacher. Examine what he says in the Word of God. Amen? Look at it. Check it out. And then call me Wednesday and say, Preacher, you were right on target. But I want to tell you, false teachers, you have to examine them. False teachers work just like their father does. Now let me tell you real quickly about their father. Go with me to the book of Genesis. And I want to show you something about the father of false teachers. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said... You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You're not going to die. You're not sure. You're not sure. You shall not surely die. For God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that one tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Notice three things about Satan, the father of all false teachers and all false doctrine, where it all comes from. Notice his subtlety. Remember our first point? How subtle false teeth. Notice this. He was more subtle than any beast of the field, the serpent was. He subtly cast doubt on the Word of God. He knew the Word of God. The devil knows the Bible, folks. But he cast doubt on the Word of God. And he approaches Eve and he says, Did God really say this? Are you sure you got that right? Did he really speak this? He's questioning the Word of God. Is the Word of God true? You sure you can trust that? You sure you got that right? And he clouded her mind with doubt. And so she says, maybe I got it wrong. Maybe God did not say this. That's his subtlety. But then notice his schism. He says, he he contradicted the Word of God in verses 4 and 5. And and notice this, this is important. Verse 5, you eat and your eyes will be open. 
True. True. But then he says, you shall be as God. Lie. See, half-truths. A false teacher like the devil knows you can't just come in and tell something totally contradictory to, to the Bible. You've got to do it halfway at a time. And ere long, it'll take fruition and you could forget the true half. And so that's what he does. And he says, you shall be as God. Now, this lie shapes itself into what we hear today. This, this, is, this is what we hear today, even in the church. You will be as God, able to determine for yourself what is right and what is not. You will be like God, knowing what is evil and what is good. Knowing what is right and what is wrong, what is righteousness and what is sin. And of course, God says those that call good evil and evil good are under His judgment. But that's where we are today. And it's even in the church. It's even in the church. I want to tell you what, it's what our young people are bombarded with. And then, see, false teachers always, listen to this, False teachers always have a Bible and something else. Did you hear what I said? False teachers always have a Bible and something else. Usually, they're self-designed thought or opinion. And so, they're schismatic. They get you away from the Word of God. And eventually, it's that something else that they wind up pushing. But they start out with a Bible and something else. And then thirdly, notice the seduction. Verse 6. He showed her that forbidden fruit that God had prohibited them from taking. Everything else they could take. People talk about, listen, a false teacher will, will talk about freedom that you have. And they'll, they'll look at a guy, a church like our church and a guy like me and, and, and the guys I run with and preaching, and you know what they'll say? They'll say, man, they just kind of want to bottle you up and put you in a box and, and all that. And, and we just preach the Bible. Let me tell you something, how much freedom, you, real freedom you have in Christ. The freedom you have with Christ, you're like a guppy in the Atlantic Ocean. But they will tell you we restrict all these things. Well, what do we restrict? What does... True Bible preaching tell us of the restrictions of God. Well, thou shalt not commit adultery. If you've ever been a victim of that sin from a loved one, a husband, or a wife, you know the pain that causes. You want that restriction. Thou shalt not steal if you ever have anything stolen from you. You know that restriction. Thou shalt not murder. Even our sinful government recognizes murder is bad. And so they will tell you, oh no, they'll have a schism. But their seduction, he appealed, he took that fruit and he showed it to her and she saw it, that it was pleasing to the eyes, that it was pleasing to the flesh. It would taste good and, and it would it, make her wise. It'd make her like God, able to call sin, sin, and right, right, and make your own determination. 
It feels good. It seems good. It's good teaching, Adam. It's good teaching. Don't you see it? It's good. Won't you eat it with me? Okay. And now the whole world's under a curse. The whole world's under a curse. You examine false teachers by the Bible. You judge every sermon and discern its truthfulness and discern whether or not its truth is worth applying to your life by the Word of God. Question everything we say up here in this pulpit with the Word of God. I welcome it. The second thing you need to do is examine yourself. (laughs) Examine yourself. Now, Paul told his young disciple, Timothy, the young pastor, about how seductive these people will be and how tricky they will be. As a matter of fact, uh, you can go back to, to 2 Timothy, Paul's last letter that he wrote, he was soon to die. And, and this is what he says in chapter 3. He says, This know also, Timothy, pastor, young pastor out there, know this. And if the pastor knows it, people need to know it. So Timothy, preach this to your people. And people get this. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Now, the last days are here, and they've been here for 2,000 years. The last days are from the time Jesus came the first time until the rapture of the church. At the rapture of the church, you'll have the end times. But we're in the last days, and perilous times have been here since Jesus came, I promise you. You say, well, I don't know about that. Well, they crucified Jesus. That's pretty perilous. They, they beheaded Paul and crucified Peter. That's pretty perilous. And look what he says. This know also that in the last days perilous times come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. You think that just now in history... Kids have started disobeying their parents in the last 10 years. No, that's been going on since the beginning of time. And it's just heightened in these last days since Jesus came. Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, that's sexual perversion, truce breakers, false accusers, people without control over their lust, fierce despisers of those that are good. That sound familiar? Traitors heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having the form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. That means it's within the church. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins led away with diverse lusts. They take advantage of silly people who don't know any better. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And he goes on, if you go down to verse 10, and he says, uh, But thou, Timothy, you, Timothy, you have fully known my doctrine, 
See, teaching. You've known it. Manner of life. Purpose, faith, long-suffering, my love and patience. Persecutions and afflictions which came upon me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers, see there it is again, seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so he says to Timothy what he says to all of us. You need to examine yourself and make sure you know my doctrine. Make sure you know the scripture that I wrote. The Holy Spirit's inspired words. And then over in the fourth chapter, he gives Peter or he gives Timothy this command. He says, Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. That means always ready. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, patience and doctrine, he says to the preacher. Y'all pray that I'll have patience and doctrine. And then he says, for the time will come, and now is, because we're in the last days, when they, right? When they, who's they? Who's they? People who listen to the Word of God. People within the church. You say, well, no, that's the world out there. That's the people, you know, they're not, they're not in, yeah. Well, no, they're not, they're not going to hear you preach. Why talk about them? He says, there will come a time when they, these ones who have the form of, of religion, but not the power. He says, they will not endure sound doctrine. They're not going to like it. But after their own lusts, driven by their own lusts, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, tickling ears. They don't want Dr. Mike. They want Dr. Tickle. Right? They want to feel good. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. People will not endure sound doctrine. They will be seduced subtly into the schism away from God's word by the ear ticklers. Why? Why? We're talking about examining yourself. Why do people flock to false teachers? I've, I've literally, listen, I have literally shown people where certain teachers they were abiding, giving money to, financially supporting, big time, and show them, look, let me show you where they are majorly away from God's Word. Let me show you. And, and I mean, show them in the Word of God where they were totally, I mean, denying the very fundamentals of our faith, of the Word of God. I don't care. I like them. They've helped me. Now, why is that? Why is it? Just, I mean, just it's just amazing to me. Why? Well, because they are not led by the Spirit of God or the Word of God. They are led by their own lusts. We're going to see that played out in Second Peter chapter two. So true. 
It is these days. People don't want to know truth and apply truth. They want to feel good. They want to feel. They want to have a peace in their conscience. And they want to have a settled thinking that they are okay in their own mind. They don't want to know truth. Maybe it's laziness, but in all likelihood it's lostness. And they don't want to apply it. They want to feel good about themselves and their situation. And that can easily happen by just eating the fruit. But they don't see the curse that comes with it. Easily seduced by teachers who are of the same persuasion. Be on guard. Be on guard. Examine yourself. Make sure you're not swayed. Make sure you're not following such a teacher. And you say, well, preacher, you've kind of been kind of general today. I am. I can get specific, but we don't have time to be specific today. But I will tell you this. You apply this to every doctrine of the Word of God. Every single doctrine of the Word of God. It's very subtle. Especially in the American church, folks. It's very, very subtle. You know, um, a couple of months ago, Tracy and I were at a missions conference. And uh, we met a young couple from South Dakota. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, he was a firefighter who God called to preach. And, and so he goes to South Dakota to get on the mission field. And, and um, he becomes a pastor of a small church in, on the Lakota Reservation. And um, so we're talking to this young pastor and his wife and he says, um, you look like you've been at it a long time. And uh, I didn't like him. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't you know. And I said, it's been a long day. But um, he said, uh, you know, he said, I'm a new pastor. He said, I, I've never preached a sermon till they put me in that church. And he said, I don't even have a library. He said, I got two or three books. And uh, I said, well, who are they? Who are you reading? And he told me. I said, well, they're good. You know, yeah. And then he said this. He said, I am so afraid. He said, I'm petrified. You remember this? He said, I'm petrified. Scared to death that I'm going to preach something and lead my people astray. He said, how do you handle that? How do you, how do you watch out for that? And I told him this. I said, well, number one, never lose that fear. Never lose that fear whatsoever. You... Be afraid of God Almighty that He's going to strike you dead if you lead somebody astray. And pray that He does. And then I said, you just stick with the book 
word by word, phrase by phrase. Quit trying to be relevant and quit trying to be clever. Just stick with the book word by word like it's written. And I said, and you'll be all right. Amen? And so, folks, you do that in your daily walk with the Lord and in your daily devotional life. Examine every teacher, especially those on TV. As a matter of fact, look, if you're kind of not strong in the faith and you don't know a lot of Scripture yet, keep coming here, you'll get it. But let me just say this. Um, don't watch TV preachers you hear too much. All right? Get on our website and listen to us. Is that right, Cole? Amen. Or I'll, I'll, I'll tell you some good preachers you can listen to. But anyway, you examine every teacher with the Word of God. Know it, learn it, start knowing it. Always learn it so you can apply it in what you hear and weigh against what you hear. And then you examine yourself and you make sure you're not leading astray or being led astray and you stick with it verse by verse, word by word. Let's stand for our song of appeal. This is Cole Andrews, the family minister here at First Baptist Church, Ocean Springs. I want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into our podcasts and sermons today. We surely hope you have been blessed by the Word of God. I'd like to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com, to learn more about our church. We sure would love to see you in church on Sunday. May God bless you.